Code 321 podcast. Very excited to have two very, very special guests with me here today. Two people who are very important in my EMS education and also are here to help you. Um, so we have Kate Soons with us and Chris McCarthy. Say hello, guys. Hello. Hi. So if you don't mind, uh, Kate, why don't we start with you if you just want to tell people a little bit about you know who you are and what you're doing here okay, today. Okay, sure. Um, my name's Kate Soons. Um, I started my EMS career in 1989 with St. Michael's College Fire and Rescue, um, and I became an instructor uh, at the Central Connecticut State University EMS program in 1992, and I taught courses at the University of Vermont for like 28 years and uh, I've done PEP, PHTLS, every ABC class. I love it. It's fantastic and um, I I ended up going to nursing school um, because we didn't have a paramedic program in Vermont and I am a critical care nurse in the surgical and pediatric ICU and that has really helped me become a better instructor for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember you were always very highly regarded when you would come in and do your OB lectures. Yes. I knew that was always kind of the big deal. The, the baby in a bag show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's great. The best lecture of the semester. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, and Chris, we have you here with us. I think every pretty much every exam, except for my paramedic exam, which I took out of state, you were there. And I know you helped me a lot through my IRIMS programs and through my UVM time. Um, we're really, really excited to have you. I know there's a lot of people that have a ton of anxiety about NREMT and maybe you want to talk just a little bit about kind of how you got into EMS and how we are where we are today. Uh, sure. So um, I've been in EMS for 30 years. Um, I started uh, back years ago in Charlotte. Um, I'm an advanced EMT. I've been teaching at uh been in IC and teaching EMT courses since 2001, but teaching overall since 1990 uh, when I started teaching EMR courses, when it's now EMR courses. So that's my career in EMS. Perfect. So I think we're really excited to talk to you and Kate as well, because there's this strange predicament we've been in where people haven't been in class for six months and now they're starting to get back to testing. They're starting to get ready to go. And I know there's a lot of anxiety people are having about, um, you know, preparing for the cognitive exam, preparing for the psychomotor exam. So this episode, we're going to talk just a little bit about EMT. Mm-hmm. Then the next two short ones, we're going to be doing a, and just a brief about paramedic. So for us at NETS, the two big things we have are we have AEMTs that are ready to test and we have EMTs that are ready to test. So I just want to add something in Nick as I whack your microphone there. Um, One of the unique perspectives that Chris and I feel we can offer everyone is that we are national registry representatives for the state of Vermont. And that has afforded us a unique vista about how testing goes for the national registry. And we've been able to bring that back to the classes that we've taught. So we're, we're excited to share those tips with everybody that hears this podcast. Absolutely. I think a lot of people are definitely looking for that. I know almost every time we prepare people to test, there's about 30 questions on the NREMT about what happens if this happens, what happens if that happens. So I guess the most basic feedback that we're looking for from you guys is what stations will the EMTs be tested on? Has that changed at all? Is it the same? Uh, so, um, it hasn't changed since earlier this year. So they're tested on trauma assessment, medical assessment, cardiac arrest management, BVM, oxygen, and a random station. So they're tested on six stations. Perfect. And 
this is kind of a interesting question. Is the KED still technically testable? Has that been taken out? Is that so? The KED has been removed as okay. one of the uh, random stations, so they'll either be tested on long bone, uh, immobilization, joint immobilization, or bleeding control and shock management. Okay, it's great. one of those three. Nice. And what about the spinal motion restriction or the, sp- the spinal supine station? Was that taken out as well, too? Or so that- supine spinal mobilization was removed uh, right, I guess it was removed at the end of last year, right in December. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not tested on that. Eventually, NREMT is going to put spine motion restriction in, but there's nothing about that right now. So no. Good, good. Yeah, it's, I Unfortunately, when I help these students, I have to remember I haven't taken my EMT exam in many, many years. So I try to remember what I experienced, but that's not always directly reflective of what they're going to experience for sure. So um, I guess the other question I have, too, is, is there any one or two stations that you see a lot of people get tripped up on at the EMT level or is it kind of hit or miss with that stuff? Um, believe it or not, it's kind of all over the board, um, and I'm usually sometimes you're surprised by the results. Uh, probably trauma is probably the one that students tend to fail the most, um, and if they're failing it, um, usually it's because they they it's right at the beginning and they miss the ABCs. They miss to come in, check you know check. Uh, uh, AFPU, you know, check for responsiveness, open the airway, check for breathing, and check for pulse. Um, and recognizing that most likely within there, they're going to find something that needs to be corrected right away. Um, usually they miss that, and that's probably most of the time why someone fails that station. And I'd just like to add that, and this is something that Christine and I, as Vermont became a national registry state in 2011, and we had to adapt uh, our assessment and evaluation of students to reflect those national registry skill sheets. There's a lot of people out there that say, oh, you're teaching to the skill sheet or you're teaching to the test. And to some degree, you do want to coach your students to be successful in the testing environment. But for everybody that's listening, I think it's critically important that you understand why you're doing things in the order that you're doing them. You know, if you're writing down a list of allergies with a patient who's snoring and has an obstructed airway, that's wrong. And that's a critical fail. But if you don't understand why the order matters, then that's something that you know, go back to your instructor and say, I don't understand why I, I, I failed this practice station. And so it's people that try to memorize the sheets. Oftentimes they become flustered and they're so focused on memorizing the order that they just, they, they, they toss the station. It's no, it's no bueno. But the people that are like, oh, I have to do scene safety. Otherwise I could get mowed down on the interstate. Oh, I have to open the airway before I move on to secondary because that's a life threat. So the people that understand why they're doing what they're doing, those are the ones that are successful. And I think some of the feedback we've gotten from the test takers I've worked with and some of our students that have done well and some of our students that have struggled a little bit is a lot of the examiners can, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, they Mm -hmm. can tell usually within the first minute or two whether Mm -hmm. you're prepared for the station or not. Mm -hmm. If you walk in there and you feel like you have a good rhythm and you're making good decisions, and especially if you 
make sure to hit those scene safety spine the spine precautions mm-hmm. make sure you do your bsi i know some people that i've talked to that i've gone to school with that have done phenomenal in the station but they forget to say something about the spine or if they get to say something about their gloves or they mm-hmm. forget to say something about the scene safety and in my opinion when i helped as a patient model and did things that's just heartbreaking to see a really solid provider miss something because they forget mm-hmm. something you know simple like scene safety mm-hmm. you know for the test that um some of the tests coming up it won't be a problem because they'll be required to wear gloves that's a good point yeah um, that's a good point yeah but i always tell students no matter where you're testing no matter out of the situation just take a set of gloves with you every station you know make sure you have them so you don't forget them put them on things like that that's i always tell students to do that for the next i would imagine at least year won't be a problem because i think they're going to be required at every exam yeah it's going to be pretty hard to fail your bsi if you're required to wear your bsi to take the station right. so absolutely um so i guess something else to talk about is when they first arrive to start their exam with you what could they expect what when they first walk in and they check in what what would they run into i know with me it would you know a lot of it was i would meet with you and you check us in you'd get our name you'd verify our identity you'd make sure we didn't have our cell phone on us and you would go through just a brief synopsis of what to expect and i think there used to be kind of a can sheet that they would read is that something that they could still expect uh yeah um, it's more of a discussion now. We don't have the directions aren't like line for line read, but we still cover the same things. Um, so people coming in to be to test should, you know, make sure you have a watch. Make sure it's not a smartwatch, no Apple watches, no anything like that. You know, make sure you bring a pen or a pencil, um, and uh, your ID and no electronic devices whatsoever. Just like leave them out before you walk in the room. Um, Once you come in, you're gonna check in, uh, you're gonna fill out paperwork uh, for the state, um, and then um, we'll review the instructions, give people a chance, you know, and the the instructions talk about what they can expect from evaluators, why the evaluators present in certain ways. They're not supposed to be chatty. They're not supposed to be overly conversational um, and explain to them what the evaluators are looking for and kind of why they're taking notes and how they evaluate. Um, And uh, then they're given a chance to ask any questions at the end. Uh, and then we'll start the test. Great. So the other thing I got a question on is, what if they wanted to bring any of their own equipment? Do they still allow you to take your own stethoscope or bring anything else like that? And if they do, what would be the process for getting that approved? So um, they can bring any equipment that they want in, um, and it just needs to be reviewed by the National Registry rep. So they're going to want to see it. They might ask them to open it up just to make sure there's no notes or anything written in it. Uh, so I've seen, you know, stethoscopes, blood pressure cuffs, like those, the equipment that you're familiar with, like, you know, you know, practice like you play. So bring what you're comfortable with. Um, and they can almost bring almost anything. I've seen students bring their own AEDs uh, just because it's one that they're more familiar with. So they want that kind of comfort level. And that's absolutely fine. I, I would just like to um, to echo what Chris says especially for the blood pressure cuff. You know, if this is your first licensure exam and blood pressures can be hard, they, you know, and to have like a different mechanism for releasing the valve that could throw you off and then your whole like rhythm of the station, you know, you might get freaked out. So definitely that's a good one. 
That makes me think of something, if that's okay. Yeah, right. Um, one of the th- you know, one of the helpful hints that I would really like people to know is when you go into a station and you're um, read your directions by your evaluator, you're given an opportunity with every station to look through the equipment. Okay, so they'll say, "Here's all the equipment. Take a moment to look through it." I strongly recommend that students take the time to look through the equipment. Um, because they may find a piece of equipment that they're not familiar with. They may say, oh, I'm not familiar with this defibrillator, or I'm not familiar with this specific kind of, you know, bag valve mask, or if we were doing spine immobilization call, or whatever the equipment is, because you have a right to ask the evaluator to show you how that piece of equipment works. And, um they'll show you they're required to show you before you start the station do that take the time to do that because once you start the station if you come across a piece of equipment that you are not familiar with you cannot ask the evaluator at that point in time and i have seen students fail because they didn't take the time to look they didn't ask the evaluator and Ultimately, they didn't know how to use the equipment properly, and they failed the station. And if they had just asked, the evaluator would have shown them. So I strongly recommend that students, you know, take the time to do that. And just along the lines with equipment, if one of the reasons that a student could um, have a complaint about their station is equipment failure, and the reality is that, you know, airway mannequins, you know, we're practicing with them, we're using them, they're expensive, they do fail. They fail all the time. In fact, I would say that's the number one um, BLS station equipment failure is the mannequin doesn't ventilate, they don't get chest rise. And if the student feels that they have good technique and that it was equipment failure or there was any um, abnormality with the station, any irregularity, they should immediately come back to the exam coordinator and say, I have a problem. I would like to speak to the national registry rep, please. And just say, Hey, I, you know, I thought I had very good technique and the mannequin didn't ventilate. And then the national registry rep will go and stop that station, double check the equipment. And there have been times where Christine and I were running exams around the state that the equipment didn't work and we had to stop the station and say, you got to get a different mannequin. And we would invalidate that attempt so that the, the student had another attempt. But if they don't say something, if the candidate doesn't let us know, and then we give them their results and say, Oh, sorry, you were not successful with the airway station. We're not able to go back. And once we give them the results, that's it. So it's really important at the end of a station, if there was a problem, just come and, and talk to us about it or talk to the um, the National Registry rep because we do want to make sure that everybody has a fair testing experience. That's a great segue. I, I know there's a lot of people that are under an immense amount of pressure when they're taking these exams. I know when I took my EMT, I was a college student, and even that, I knew I wanted to be a career firefighter, paramedic. I knew I wanted to go down this track, so it felt like there was a lot of internal pressure. And that can translate into this testing environment. It's a very rigid testing environment. The only other thing I could compare it to 
would be like an SAT style testing where you're very, it's very, you know, it's based on a strict set of rules and everyone needs to behave by that set of rules. But if I can just interrupt, the, the reason for that is so that everybody has the same experience. Absolutely. So that is the yep. absolute goal, a neutral testing experience. You don't get a good evaluator and you get a hard one. Everybody does the same thing. And that's why we're trying to tell the evaluators, no small talk. You can't say, hey, what squad do you run with? That's crap, right? Just, mm -hmm. hey, how are you? What's your name? Oh, Nick, Carson, C-A-R-S-O-N. Great, thanks. Here we go. Absolutely. That's a really good point. And I think uh, what you guys were saying about if there was a problem, letting you guys know as soon as possible is really key. Um, what I have seen in the tests I've taken is those people that kind of are on the border of, I don't know, I'm not really sure. Or, you know, I didn't feel like that was fair, but, you know, I don't want to bring it up. And then they fail the station and all of a sudden they go through the roof. But the issue is if you feel like you were mistreated, if you feel like something went wrong, if you feel like a mannequin broke, if you felt like the examiner was inappropriate or something, you need to speak to the rep for those things. And I always tell students, tell us as soon as you think it was a problem. Um, and here's here's an example why. I'm gonna go off the example Kate gave about a mannequin not working. Sometimes it's, sometimes to be fair, it's the candidate and we'll go in and we'll test a mannequin and it'll be fine and we'll say, that's operator error. Um, but if it comes back and we find out that a mannequin wasn't working, we'd rather know as soon as it stops working. If we go through an entire testing process, let's say we finish the exam, and the student comes to get their results because we give same day results. And we say to the students, before we give you your results, do you have any issues or concerns related to discrimination or equipment? If the student says at that point, oh yeah, actually I do. You know, at my airway station, um, at my bag valve mass station, I had really good technique. I readjusted and I, I feel I, like I did everything right, but I don't think the mannequin was working. Oh, and the evaluator told me to just keep going. Well, we have to stop and then we have to go back and we have to talk to the evaluator and we have to go back to the piece of equipment. If we find out that that equipment was indeed not working and the evaluator said, oh yeah, well it wasn't working, but I just told them to keep going because their technique looked good. Every student at that station has to have their results voided and they all have to take it again. So the sooner someone tells us there might be a problem, the better it is for everybody. That's a really good point. Absolutely. And I think one experience I've always had with NREMT reps, whether it was you or when I went to New Hampshire, the folks are usually really nice. This stuff is already, all of these rules are already laid out. This is not being invented on the fly. If you have an issue, um, what I would recommend as an instructor and what you guys I'm sure would recommend too is very calmly and politely have a discussion with the person that you need to talk to. There's no need to yell or get upset or have a mental breakdown. Just take a deep breath have this conversation because this stuff has already been sorted out and I promise you it's not the first time that this is happening. You know, uh, you actually make a really good point and it's another kind of helpful hint for candidates. Um, it is a stressful process and sometimes you're stressed, your anxiety level is up and you start to feel that all kind of building. Um, I always tell my students, no matter what, don't lose your temper, don't yell, do not carry on. I'm, I always say to them, my exact words are, don't be that person. Yes, don't because, be that person. <laughs> because um, that can lead to a candidate being 
removed from the exam and then something is written up to the national registry and in in some cases it can affect their ability to then become certified depending on how bad their behavior can be and we've seen some pretty bad behavior so um I just want to remind people your advice about keeping calm and keeping easy. That is really good advice. Don't lose your temper. And know that, know that you're not alone too, that everyone else in that room is just as nervous as you are and everyone that's evaluating you and whether it's Kate or Chris or some other NREMT rep, they were in your shoes at some point. If they weren't in your shoes, they're not in charge of your destiny. Right. And I just also want your students to know that testing in Vermont has come a long way and pretty much every district has developed a, a method of selecting evaluators that are fair, that are impartial, that are supportive of our EMS system, that remember what it was like to be in the, the candidate shoes and how stressful it was. So I think that we are, we have come a long, long way. Um, one other thing that, that um, when you guys were speaking made me think when you're waiting for stations, like developing some kind of way to either do like deep breathing or centering yourself, but really positive self-talk is a huge factor. Making sure that you're telling yourself, I can do this. I've prepared, I've practiced. And yep, most all sites, you can sit there and look at your blank skill sheets and review, but making sure, making sure that you believe in yourself is really huge and bring snacks, bring water, you know, bring, bring, you know, a cup of coffee if you need it, but you know, believe you can do it. And to echo on that, you know, sometimes candidates come out of a station and they'll, you know, maybe they see that piece of equipment as they're walking out the door that they realize they should have used, or they walk out and they realize, you know, I'll, crud i forgot to do something or they know right away that they did something wrong um don't let that ruin the rest of the day so you know worst case that's a one station that you didn't pass great you just come back and retest that one station don't let it overtake you because i have seen candidates come out of a station and realize oh my god i forgot to open the airway at trauma assessment and they, they're so obsessed with that, that every station, it's like a, 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 rolling, a boulder rolling down the hill. It just gets worse and worse and worse. And at the end of the day, instead of maybe missing one station, they've now missed four. And that whole first attempt is done. And now they have to come back in for uh, remediation. So, you know, it happens and it's okay. That's a really good point. So, and I like your segue there. Let's just talk briefly about if if I were going to go take this exam at the EMT level at the NREMT psychomotor station, I pass everything great. That's my first step towards getting to my certification after I pass my cognitive station. If I fail, is it three stations? There's the opportunity to test that same day potentially if there's time. You want to talk a little bit about what the retesting looks like and then how many times you could fail a station before you need remediation and then is there a time where you can't be remediated? So um, you are for for the EMT test, you're allowed two full attempts and say and one full attempt consists of your initial exam and the possibility for two attempts at retest. So for you to have that experience, you have to fail three or less of your stations. 
So you're tested on six, it's three or less. So if you fail three or less, you're eligible for same day retesting if the site is doing same day retesting, uh, which means you just retest the stations you didn't pass. And even if they're not offering same day retesting, the next time you go to an exam, you only have to retest the three stations that you didn't pass. Um, and you have two more attempts to pass those stations. Um, if you fail the majority of the station, so you fail four or more, then your first full attempt is done. And there's no opportunity to retest. The first full attempt is done. You have to go back in for remediation and then you can test again. And when you test again, you have to do all your stations again. Okay. That makes sense. And is the remediation you're talking about, is that a, is that a refresher program? Is that a preset course? Is that... It's not a preset course. Um, really, they allow um, the instructors to do it. Uh, they allow the instructors to um, to do that. So really, if it were my program, if it were my students, the students would come back to me. If they're yours, they'd come back to you. And we would work with them to kind of refresh them and go over the stations again and run them through it again. It's probably it probably will take a, at least a good twenty hours to do it though, yeah. uh, because they really should put some time back into relearning those stations. And one of the things that I just wanted to add, and and uh, if you've already sent this to your students, but for anybody that might be listening to the podcast, the National Registry has a, a student candidate handbook for each level. Of certification, so there's an EMT candidate handbook, an advanced EMT candidate handbook, EMR paramedic, and it's you know it's about 24 pages. It goes through the entire certification process, and although I know many students feel like their their brains are like squirting out their ears, they've got so much information. Um, knowledge is power, so knowing what to expect can allay some of your fears it can reduce some of your stress if you feel like you have all the knowledge you possibly can about this test and know what's expected of you it literally will reduce your stress and you will perform better and you know the other thing is um this the the sheets that you're being scored on on your test are the same ones you're using in class those don't change so if you if you're you know nailing it in class and you're scoring well, you should and you should ideally expect that you would do equally as well in the testing process. Granted, people's nerves are up because there's certification on the line, but it's no different. It's absolutely no different. That's a really good point. And I guess as far as the psychomotor exam goes, before we talk briefly about the cognitive exam, in my experience, both as a student being examined and a examiner, helper person, I've experienced the vast majority of the people I've worked with, they want the candidates to succeed. We want more EMTs. We want you to be successful and gain your certification. In my mind, the people that typically fail these exams, it's it's the people that are drastically either have not prepared or are blatantly dangerous. I think the majority of people that I see who fail are people who are completely unprepared and obviously haven't studied the sheets or prepared for the exam, or people who come in there so hot and so cocky that but they miss the airway and all of a sudden they're talking about you know the nervous system in a trauma exam instead of 
opening the airway with the jaw thrust. That's correct. I just want to add, and this, it kind of pains me to say this, but, you know, Christine and I have literally traveled all over the state doing exams. Newport, Bennington, everywhere, Rutland, everywhere in between. Unfortunately, the way our system has been designed is that there are sometimes instructors that might not have the training and support that they need to teach a class and there are students that have gaps in their education so the one thing that i would recommend for your students is to make sure that they're never practicing alone that they seek out people who might have been evaluators so maybe there's somebody at abc rescue that served as an evaluator um, at an exam practice with them say hey can you watch me if i give you the national registry sheet and see how i do um because sometimes having somebody else watch you they'll pick up something that you missed and it happens it happens absolutely that's a really great point and we always say it takes a village you know you should you should really be training with a ton of different people because you might pick up one little thing from each person and it complicates into a nice uh, full array of training and that's what makes a well-rounded provider if you train with the same person every time all you're doing is duplicating that provider all of their weaknesses all of their strengths and the best thing you can do is learn from everyone every time and you know the paramedics learning from the emt sometimes sometimes the emt is learning from the paramedic and it goes all the way around so great perfect so let's talk just briefly about the cognitive exam um, this in my mind is pretty straightforward for the most part you do go through a curriculum that prepares you for the exam everything that you're going to be tested on should be covered in your program for our NET students, we're going to be offering refreshers for the um, EMT and the AEMT model based on the NCCPs. We're going to make sure that we cover all that stuff and prepare you as best we can. Um, so the NREMT test at the EMT level, it's computer-based. Is that right? Yes. You want to talk a little bit about what that looks like? Um, so it's, um, it's computer-based testing. Um, the number of questions that they're going to have is going to vary according to how well they're doing. The maximum they can have, I think, is 130 questions. Um, and um, essentially, the way it works is the difficulty of questions either goes up or goes down by how well that they're doing on the exam. Um, and so, um, you know, if you have, if you're, if you're taking the test and all of a sudden you're getting questions about IVs. It means you're doing really well because you've worked your way to that up that high in difficulty. Um, but the questions are uh, a lot of them are scenario based. They're not going to be these straightforward questions such as, you know, what does the M and sample stand for that? It's not going to be that simple. Um, and the way that the process works is when they go in and take the test, it's all multiple choice. And essentially, they'll take the exam until either they hit a pass or fail point. So once they've either hit the point that they've passed the test or they have failed the test, the exam shuts off. So that's why the number of questions that they get is, they do is going to vary. Um, and so, you know, if you're doing really, really well, you could do, you know, 75 questions and boop, it shuts off. Um, and that's great. Um, but you're not going to know at that point in time that you passed. You're just gonna know that's how many questions you did and you're gonna walk out thinking I did really well or I did really poorly. Um, the longer it goes, the more questions you get, that's, that more you're on the line of whether you're going to pass or fail. 
That's right. Yep. And can you talk a little bit about um, if you were to fail your test, is there a certain number of times you can take it? Is there any sort of rules around that? Yep. You have up to three times to take it. Okay. And if you, is it the same thing as a psychomotor where if you remediated, you get another three or is it three total and you're done? So you get three, you get three up to three. Um, If after the third time you don't pass it, then your whole first attempt is considered done. You come back in for remediation and you start over again, but you can get up to three more chances. Perfect. And I don't know if Kate or Chris, if you guys have any tips or tricks for people who are preparing for the exam. I know a lot of this stuff is done outside of the classroom and it might be even done on your own after you're done with the course. How do you get your mind into the NREMT and prepare for that big test? Absolutely. Um, uh, I like to say that you kind of have to go into boot camp mode. Um, do, do your net students use an online testing platform? They do. Yep. We um, offer them a few different platforms and a lot of our curriculum is based on uh, one specific one. Okay. So um, one of the ones that I'm familiar with EMS testing. Um, there's also EMT national training. I'm not a paid spokesperson for either of these. I don't get a kickback or anything. The reality is that if you want to get good at, at preparing for this cognitive computer-based exam, you have to do practice question after practice question after practice question. Reading the book again is not going to help you be successful. Watching the PowerPoints again is not going to help you be successful. The only way that you will be successful is to do practice questions and then to get good at understanding how questions work. There's two types of questions that everybody should be aware of. One, and, and keep in mind that, that the reason you're being tested is to make sure you're safe and you're not going to damage the public, right? Yeah, we I don't mean, want the damage no, of the public. No damaging of the public, yeah. exactly. Um, the first type of question is, is the order of operations, and that goes back to what I was saying in the trauma assessment station. If you can't recognize that the next thing that should happen is to check the airway versus check for allergies, that's a problem. So um, one type of question is order of operations. What comes next? What's the very next thing you should do? And you have to think about your assessment algorithms and that sort of thing. The other is what's happening here, right? Is this patient a, um, a shock, uh, a trauma patient that's in uh, shock? And that's recognizing high priority patients. So if you can read questions and kind of recognize, oh, what is it that they're really asking me here, you know? Um, we do know, we do know, though, that some of the areas, because the test is kind of broken down into these modules, uh, we do know that um, it's EMS operations and OB and pediatrics that people struggle with the most. Yep, I think the OB can be related to just an infrequency. I mean, I think even for me, I've maybe delivered one baby in almost 10 years of EMS. It just doesn't 30 happen. 30 years, that's one more than me. <laughs> one yep. more than me. Yep, yep. Ditto. But to, so to that point, if we know the, st and the statistics are out there, a lot of this stuff is public information. If we know that those are the two lowest scoring sections for the EMT exam, then perhaps students should do practice questions that focus on that area. And there's so many wonderful test preparation um, products out there that you can customize your test. And so let's say you do a comprehensive practice exam and your score is poor in pediatrics and OB or EMS operations, create a targeted topic prep exam and just hammer a bunch of questions on EMS ops or hammer a bunch of questions on OB. 
You know, and one of the other things that I always tell uh, my students is, um, is, Kate already said, don't go back and read the book. It's not going to help you. The best thing that you can do is take the actual um, course objectives. You know, that brief outline, we as instructors see it, they as students have it in their student handbook. But go through that. And if you know all those things, great. But as you're reviewing that, if you say, oh, I don't remember that, that's the time to go back and read that portion of the book to refresh yourself. And if you're looking for a really like um, quick and dirty way to review the content of the curriculum, the National Registry EMT Refresher Curriculum and the National Registry Advanced EMT Refresher Curriculum, it's a, it's a beautiful outline of what the National Registry thinks is important for people to refresh on. So there might be a clue as to what you should definitely know. And like we talked about, this stuff is not being invented right now. This has been around for a while. Mm -hmm. Everything you're going to be tested on, you have access to well in advance of you actually taking your exam. And like you talked about before, using those online test platforms are a great way to prepare because you are using a computer-based test to test. So what better way to prepare for your exam than use a computer-based test? Correct. Um, the other thing is students, uh, not to go back to the practical, but um, there's an exam coordinator's guidebook and um, that's available. If you searched NREMT exam coordinator's guidebook EMT, you can find that online and that will be a good guide for them. It's almost like a step-by-step -step of what to expect through the psychomotor as well. That's a really great point. Well, I want to thank you guys very much for talking about the EMT process here. Um, for those of you that are listening, if you are NET students, know that you're not alone. You can always access your instructor. We have TAs, instructors that work in the field that have been examined, that have participated in the examination process, that have been working with this NREMT reps for years, and we're more than willing to help you. It only reflects better on NETs if our students are passing these exams. It's not in our best interest to cash your check and let you fail. We want to make sure that these people are getting through these exams and we understand how stressful it is from being in your shoes so reach out to your instructor coordinator to your TAs that you have assigned to you um, you can always vi uh, visit that netsvt.com and we're going to work on reaching you in other ways as well um, like this podcast maybe you don't have time to work with your instructor but maybe you have time to listen to something on the way to work we know you're busy we know a lot of you are moonlighting and we're going to do our best to make sure that you have a successful and pleasant experience and thank you. Thank you for everyone that's trying to make our EMS system better. We appreciate your efforts.